Okay, so you need to stand out from the competition, but it seems like everyone is saying the exact same thing. Your pitch sounds the same as your competition, and sometimes it sounds eerily similar to companies you don't even compete with. The way to break through this is with an early focus on positioning and messaging. And once you nail that, ensuring everyone at your company is singing from the same hymnal. But it's hard, and when you're involving a lot of other departments, it can get muddy and it drags on. So today, we're gonna to talk about how to develop your positioning and messaging, and how to get everyone at the company using it. Demand Gen U is officially in session, let's do it. All right, so let's talk about the problem. And the problem is really, you've got everyone, not just internally, but like even externally, talking about your product in different ways. And well, first of all, why is that a bad thing? Let's talk about why is that a bad thing? So everyone is talking, so you've got sales reps, you've got marketers, you've got the CEO, head of sales, everybody, and then it's slightly different. Why is that bad? How much time do you have? I feel like there's probably a million different ways that we can go with this. So I think the the biggest thing for me, and I know we'll share more about how we went about this at Metadata earlier last year, is it makes it almost impossible for your prospects at the end of the day and really your market uh, to understand what you do and how you're different. I think that that's all it boils down to. I think. A lot of this is because, and I'll die on this hill, there's a lot of bad product marketing out there and companies are not making it any easier on their prospects to try and figure out what makes them unique and how they can actually help them at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think, you know, we all have, especially in MarTech, there's like so much competition and there are only like so many words in our vernacular that we can use to describe the things that we do. So if you're if you're company A and you've got people saying even slightly different things, that can all of a sudden just sound like that person over there. All of a sudden you just got us competing with this company over here by just changing up two words or and and you're right, it can it it can confuse people. And I think on the opposite end, if it's consistent and always consistent, there's something about that repetition too that starts to just work from a psychological perspective if you hear the same thing over and over and over again. And so both sides, when you're all over the place with messaging, you're confusing, but when you're actually really good with it, it does more than just like table stakes. It's like actually it boosts you from a psychological, I think, perspective too. Yeah, and I think the, the few companies that do that well are the ones who repeat the same message over and over and over again. And Gong always comes to mind. I think they have great product marketing. And when you're first getting started out with this, you think that, oh, I'm repeating myself. Am I coming off as annoying? This is too repetitive, yada, yada, yada. We're humans. We don't always hear the message the first time we <laughs> receive it. And sometimes you have to be head over the head with it. And I think good product marketers do that. Yeah. Yep. Um, cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's probably really no other big reasons other than you're going to confuse your market, which you don't want to do. Um, and that actually might drive them to the competition, too. So, um, cool. So, like we usually do on our podcast, we, we, we do some definitions. And so... And this is an area where I actually am really bad with kind of understanding what all these different 
things are. So let's the word things. <laughs> All right. So let's well, let's talk. let's we're, we're going to go off script here. Uh, let's see how you would define it. How would you define positioning? Um. Yes. So I would define positioning like I'd use the word itself. Position. What's my place in the market? Um, and when I talk about my place in the market, I want to sound as different as possible from everybody else. And so I, I feel like my positioning is going to be, you know, what are the, I hate features, but maybe what are the features, the pillars, the outcomes that are really different that I can compete, you know, compete with, I guess, um, that'll help me stand out from everybody else that's doing what I'm trying to do. So I guess that's how I would define it. What's, no, you tell me the real definition. <laughs> no, and I, I mean, the honest answer, it, was, it wasn't that bad. It was a little wordy, but uh, it wasn't that bad. I think uh, to use, uh, I'll refer back to April Dunford and Dave Gerhardt probably throughout this conversation, but I think the easiest way to describe it is how April Dunford describes it, which is it's context setting at the end of the day. Like, how do you set the right context for your audience to understand what you do at the end of the day, who you do it for, who your alternatives are, the value that it brings for your audience, any kind of features and functionality, but you wanna be careful around that because everyone competes on features and functionality. Uh, the easiest answer is it's not messaging and we'll get into why that is the <laughs> case. And I think many companies either confuse the two or just forget about both in general and run straight into running campaigns. And when you talk about how do I stick out amongst the sea of same, if you don't have solid positioning and good messaging, like good luck. <laughs> Everyone's trying to compete on features and benefits right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it ladders up to the brand then in some ways too. Yeah, I would say that's probably at the, the highest level. And I think the, one of the lessons learned per se, and I'll kind of steal some future thunder here in a second. It's not just something that marketing comes up with on their own. It's something that marketing works with, you know, the leadership team, the CEO, you name it, because everybody has to be bought in on what that positioning is. Uh, so it's a big alignment uh, exercise too. And then messaging is really what follows and turning that into what is going to land with your audience at the end of the day. Now, this is where I start to get confused is when I think about all these other like word terms. <laughs> like, So people saw, you know, we've got like vision, mission, messaging, positioning, I'll throw like boilerplate in, which always confuses me. Um, your pitch. So you've got all these like things that these that describes <laughs> words, <laughs> like in your use of words. How are these different? So like, let's just take messaging and positioning and then mission and vision. So maybe we, because I think mission and vision people get like really, they, they, you know, they think they're doing a lot of work on that. Maybe they're related. Um, how would you think about those things differently? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'm going to kind of wing this a little bit just based on my own personal experience. But I think mission and vision, for the most part, is something that's more internally focused because it's something that you use to get your company all on the same page. You can talk about that externally if you want to. You don't have to, but I think it's something that, you know, you're trying to get 
everyone on your go-to-market team on the same page with. You mentioned boilerplate. I think in some cases, you know, uh, really solid positioning just turns into a boilerplate uh, description at the end of the day. And then messaging is more of how you turn a lot of those like value statements and benefits into language that really resonates with your audience. So I think where people also use another word interchangeably is messaging and copy and messaging. It really goes positioning, messaging and copy, you know, whenever you're working on something on your website or a landing page or whatever it may be. And the copy is more of an extension of what your messaging is. So the messaging could be an internal product marketing doc that your product marketing team owns. And then really using that as a way to put your kind of brand voice and tone on it in a way that is easily understood and makes you stick out. So messaging doesn't have to necessarily have brand and tone elements in it. You're saying that happens when, I mean, it probably will, but like those, the messaging words are probably not the words people externally would see. You're a product marketer. You got it. <laughs> no, I'm learning this right now. <laughs> I'm actually getting the school on it. Um, yeah, yeah. Honestly, no, yeah. I, I've been in marketing for so long. I don't know why I don't know this stuff. I think I got confused in English arts class when I was in high school. Like I didn't know. I really, I, I got confused. I was like, what's a participle? I still today word stuff. I don't know why. I'm just not great at it. I think it just like math. Sure. Words. Not so great. Um, and so this is actually helpful for me too, because I, I get confused on this stuff. And I, I bet like Kate, you know, who helps us out with PR, she probably was like, when is he gonna find, when is he gonna get this? And I have to stop explaining it to him. <laughs> never Kate, never, sorry. Um, well, the, the one last thing I'll, I'll shut up on this after we're done. I think many people, when they hear positioning, they think of, oh, I gotta write a positioning statement. And mm -hmm. they look at some old textbook that they, you know, had from a marketing class that I know I had. And uh, it, you don't need something like that. I think what you need to do is you just need to have something that you and the leadership team and the rest of the go to market team all understand. Uh, and it does not have to be written in some formal positioning statement. Nice. And um, is there like a is there a format for messaging and positioning at all? I'm not even talking a framework, but is there like, cause you know, boilerplate has to be like a paragraph and blah, blah. Is there any like format requirements for mess positioning and messaging? Yeah, I think for, for, for both of them, there are, I mean, ask any product marketer and they'll have their own templates uh, based on what they've used before and what's worked and what hasn't worked. I think there's a lot out there. Uh, so yes, it does exist. I would be careful to just follow that template verbatim uh, and we'll get into why we haven't done that as we've been working through some of our strategic narrative. Uh, you can use it as like a guiding point, but it's always going to morph a little bit based on the needs of your own business. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then we'll talk about our own process that you did, but is there also like a, like a, standard framework or process that people can follow if they are like two marketers, none of them are product marketer mm -hmm. and they really want, but they understand they really want to do this. So is there like, are there frameworks out there that people can use? I'm sure like there, we use mm -hmm. product, mark, product, mark, product, 
product marketing alliance for some stuff, don't we? Yeah, there's two. I think the uh, the two that I've used just as sites are product marketing alliance and Sharebird, and then mm. just talking with other product marketers uh, after listening to podcasts and whatnot. So you can find a lot out there, but um, there's more resources than you would think. And you know, we did have April Dunford at demand. So that's a masterclass in that. And I think the easiest answer uh, is read her book. She doesn't need another book plug. And then uh, DG, who definitely doesn't need another book plug. I think he sold enough books. Uh, he's got a really simple framework in there uh, from Founder Brand. Nice. Um, and actually, one more thing before we let's talk about like when you do this too, because like uh, before we get into our own process. So when we did it, and we won't get into the details, but you know, I was here for about a year. We were doing marketing for probably a year or two before that, right? So we were what two to three years in probably when we actually mm -hmm. did it, but we didn't have any marketers on the team either before then, pushing for it. Um, but is there a, like, how do you know when it's time to do this? Right. Cause it's also not easy. Right. So it's not like you're just going to sit down and no. like, <laughs> Oh, you know, in an afternoon, you know, like draft it out and roll it out. Um, and we'll talk about the process, but is there a time when it's right? Like, when do you, when do you, when do you know it's right? Yeah, I think the, and we'll get into a little bit of when the time was right for us. I think when you start to listen to call recordings and you hear reactions from prospects and they say something to the extent of, I didn't realize that this is what metadata did or mm. wow, like <laughs> this is not what I saw on the website. And you just That's hear, you know, statements like that. And the more that you hear those, then it, it kind of implies that, Hey, now is the time to look at it. Because I think what most companies do and like, we I, like I'll admit I even recommended that we do until you told me we didn't have enough budget, which was like the best possible mistake uh, ever uh, is start with the website. And if you start with the website without positioning and messaging, like you mm -hmm. have no idea what to write in the copy. And it is the if you take one thing away from this podcast episode, like don't start with the website, start with positioning and messaging. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, even to me. <laughs> um, all right, let's flip over. Um, and let's talk about our own experience. So how, how we did this here at, at Metadata. So um, it was one of the first things that you worked on from what I remember. Um, and so let's talk about, so here's the context. I had just, just like five months earlier, did a new website, I think, four months, three months, something like that. I don't even remember when I launched it. But so my context was, I'm like, oh yeah, I just launched a new website. It's got some new words on it, <laughs> some new headlines, some new writing, <laughs> so new design, you know, and it was a it was a fucking bear to go through. I was the only marketer here trying to like wrangle cats to do work for me for free. So anyway, um, so context is I, I'm here and I'm like, oh, we got a, hey Mark, we got a brand new website. Like we're running, we're all good. And then you come in and Tell me how you got to the point where you're like, just, yeah, maybe walk me through it from your positioning and messaging perspective. You're, yep. well, first of all, you started as a customer, so you were seeing some of the marketing. Yep. And then you come in and tell me how you got to the point where you're like, oh shit, we gotta, we gotta get on this pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna give away something that we are gonna start to kick off soon, which we're really excited about, but I call them holy shit moments. And I had them 
multiple times when I was being sold metadata at my last company with Logan when he was demoing me. And there are these times where you're just like, holy shit, like this can do that. And the reality was even with the new, uh, or at the time, the new website copy, what was on there wasn't wrong. It wasn't inaccurate. It was just, it wasn't really facilitating these like holy shit moments uh, yeah. unless somebody talked to the sales team. So I wanted to do was take all the magic that was happening on these sales calls and then try to facilitate those moments earlier on in the process so that people understand what we do. Now, I think what we struggled with at first was the language that we were using and really website copy at the end of the day was all internally focused. It was about us. It was about what we did, what impressive, you know, engineering we had. And it's not that none of that is impressive, but when it's framed in a way that it's talking only about you and your company and not the audience at the end of the day, that's when you know that you need to flip it on its head and, and just use the language that they're using, talk to them, make sure that what you're talking about is what they are interested in and what they would get excited about, not what you get excited about. That to me was like, my mind was blown because it seems so basic, right? I didn't realize I wrote about, like, I didn't even know I was writing in that way. You know what I mean? Like, um, probably because I'm an only child. <laughs> Just kidding. It was all about me, you know. But the reality is I'd never heard that before because in my marketing ops roles, nobody cares how I write ever. You know what I mean? Um, so I'd never, ever just learned that or like realized it. But it's so clear, you know what I mean, when you make that shift that, oh, my God, like, of course, you know what I mean? Like, this is so much better for the prospect, you know what I mean? Putting it into their, um, not terms, but you know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. Uh, I, I mean, it is it is terms at the end of the day, because yeah. it's, you have to make sure that you're using language that they are using and you can want to push messages out at the end of the day. And we did that previously, but it was using words that our audience did not use in everyday right. language. So if that's not happening, then you're already making it that much more difficult for you to, you know, compel them to take some sort of action. Yeah. And the reality was too, before Mark started, I had maybe listened to a hand, like a small handful of calls. You know what I mean? I really, I, and I, I don't know why it's probably time. I, I probably felt like I didn't have enough time, which was actually wrong. I, I mean, I should have been listening to those as a priority, just didn't really realize it. So, I didn't have the luxury really like you did of hearing like how off it was. And I think that was also probably you were talking about that earlier, like the oh shit moments, but also probably you heard mm -hmm. the confusion and the like, you know, people talking and we only had like probably two or three, three sales reps, three or four sales mm -hmm. reps then. Um, and they were probably still pretty tight with what they said, but how actually maybe answer that, how off were they actually back in those early days? Were they all four of them still like pretty off or were they pretty on back in the early one? Well, and I love all of them, but to be fair, they weren't really off because we never really had anything <laughs> defined. So. That's actually perfect answer. So yeah, they had to, they were fending for themselves yeah, really, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They were yeah, kind yeah. of coming up with it on their own. Yeah, that's right. That's actually, yes, right, right. And I think what you're trying to do, and it, it was more manageable then because we had such a small sales team and our sales team is significantly larger. Like you can't just have every one of those reps fend for themselves and, you know, figure out, you know, what should I be saying or what's going to land? So. That is a, a future episode that we will have probably two, three months from now as we're working on 
rolling some of the, the more recent stuff out with our sales team. But I think what I did was I would listen to each of their calls and also I would have uh, separate interviews with longtime customers, new customers, late stage prospects, new prospects, and then even other B2B marketers in my network that really had no relationship with metadata. And I would just start to pick their brain on, hey, check out our website right now, whether you're familiar with metadata or not. Tell me what is landing and, and more importantly, what's not landing. And then for those that have experience with metadata, how would you go describe metadata to somebody in your network? How would you go describe metadata to your friends? And like, you go in and you try to ask a few pointed questions and you do a lot of listening and you try not to interrupt. And we were blown away with some of the stuff that we heard. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very qualitative. And I think we didn't have endless resources. Uh, one of our advisors had said uh, they, I think they worked on like a 150 page deck with all of this stuff uh, that cost, I think it was well into the five figures, maybe close to six figures. We didn't have that. So like we had to get scrappy with it and it's possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you realized we needed to change um, and you also, wanted to, you also wanted to do a new website, I think. I don't know if you, I don't remember if you if both of those things were at the same time, obviously they didn't get worked on at the same time, but like if you knew, yes, we need this, and then that's gonna result in a, ultimately has to result in a new website. Um, but talk through a little bit of your process. So you got mm -hmm. to the point where you're like, okay, I know we need to change this. How did you go about mm -hmm. doing it? You kind of sprinkled some of the things you've done, but like, what was the actual yep. process? Yeah, so I, like I mentioned earlier, I actually would have made the wrong first step if you said, all right, here's budget for it. Uh, and the first step would have been starting with the website. So do not start with the website because in order to write really legit copy, you need to have messaging in place. And in order to have messaging in place, then you need to have the positioning in place. So what I did was I met with probably close to 20-ish or so marketers and did these little interviews. And I got input from our sales team on what they think our positioning and messaging should be. I didn't have anything perfectly you know, formatted, but I was working on that in parallel with meeting with all of these different people. And what I would start to do is once the positioning and messaging was getting you know, more solid, I would tease it out with the people that I was interviewing. And I was saying, be really honest with me right now. You know a lot about metadata. You might be using metadata right now. Is this how you look at metadata? Is this how you set the context for metadata? and getting real-time feedback from those people. And what I tried to not do was constantly make edits based on what a single person was saying because it would have been so easy just to get caught in the, the edit hamster wheel. Like we kind of have been with this narrative that we'll talk about here in a bit. Uh, but when you start to hear themes that keep coming up from you know two, three, four, five interviews, then you know that you're onto something. So that was kind of the, the big start to all of this. I think the other mistake was not getting Gil involved sooner and not getting leadership involved sooner. If I were to do this over again, I would have got them involved much earlier in the process because it appeared as if, hey, this is what Mark thinks our positioning and messaging should be, not this is what the market mm -hmm. you know, 
thinks of metadata and how they position metadata and how they describe metadata. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so then it, it, so you got that work done and then how does it make it to the website? So you got the mm -hmm. messaging, the positioning messaging work done. Um, is it a big stretch then or does that make it a lot easier? I imagine. I think if you do, if you put in the time for the positioning and the messaging, there really isn't that big of a leap from messaging to copy, you know, assuming that you're a good writer, which most product marketers are, not all product marketers, uh, but it's not that drastic for me. Uh, I think the, the biggest leap is from positioning to messaging and knowing, you know, what are the actual value statements that you want to focus on? Like, how do you truly make their lives easier? Once you have a really solid understanding of that, it's fairly easy. You have to be in the right creative mindset to turn it into copy, but it's not that big of a leap. Cool. All right. We're going to switch gears a little bit. So obviously when you come up with it the first time, it's probably not going to be what lasts forever. Absolutely not. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe set. some companies have been able to get away with that. I have no idea. Maybe some B2C brands. I have no idea, but it doesn't, I can't imagine a world where like, oh yeah, we're good. And for the next 10, 10 years, like this is exactly how we're going to talk about the product. So, um, so we're kind of in the middle of something right now with our new strategic narrative. And well, first of all, strategic narrative, how we talk about ourselves, our kind of founding story, our, our reason for being kind of story um, and how we how we're going to help our our ICP, for the lack of a better term. Um, How do we go about changing it? So, especially in a big change, like a strategic narrative, which for us is, you know, a lot of the same of what we've been doing, but we're now branching off and we're gonna do a lot more and it's gonna go outside of like the original area that we were really kind of building a solution for. So how do we go about the change? And what have we done this time? Yeah, so this is probably another multi-part episode, but I think the to a point that we were talking about earlier, you can have your position, positioning and messaging copied by your competitors, and it happens all the time. And I'm not going to name any competitors, but I, you know, we launched our messaging, and then magically you start to see similar concepts appear on their site. So I think at that point we realized that hey, you know, we still need a way to stand out. And the best way to do that is around the company story being the narrative. So thankfully with Gil working with Dave Gerhardt, he had realized how important that story is for the company because the story is really the strategy at the end of the day. And depending on which employee you talk to, you shouldn't hear a different story about metadata. So for us, we had never worked on a narrative before. It's something that I had always wanted to do, but never had the opportunity you know, to work on. And for us, it's really an internal uh, document or deck, if you will. And that story then becomes how you talk about metadata in your sales deck, how you talk about metadata in your investor deck. And it all should feel like you're hearing a different slice of the same story, but not a completely different company when you see one deck versus the other. Yeah. 
So what are some of the things that we're, and we haven't, you know, we're just literally today starting this journey with our, <laughs> our company. Um, what are some of the things that we're doing to make this a smoother transition? You know what I mean? Internally and also externally, I guess. Yeah, I think two things that will, that we are not going to make the same mistake on uh, that, and I'll take ownership for this, that we made the last time that we tried to do a similar exercise. One is Gil has been involved from the get-go. Gil needs to be leading this. He needs to be championing this. And this is not something that marketing does and, and just kind of proposes and then it sits there on a shelf. If you do not have your CEO leading this, like it's not going to go anywhere. So just stop working on it. The second thing is, you know, we have our, our company kickoff coming up here soon. We are doing a whole bunch of training and certification on what this narrative is. And you better bet that every single person on that go-to-market team and the rest of the company is going to get certified on how to tell the metadata story so that we are all talking about it in the same way. That was where I think I fell short going through this the last time of, hey, we tested the the positioning and the messaging out with our audience at the end of the day. They said it resonates, you know, it's on the website, but if you don't follow through and, and train your sales team on it, then you're gonna have something that just sits on the shelf and isn't used at the end of the day. And we can't say, make that same mistake again. Yeah, yeah. And we started kind of seeing that, right? As we started to grow our sales team here, we're starting to, we actually started to see some people go off message, you know, um, and we're building the same, the sales team at the same time as we're building an enablement team at the same time as we're building a product marketing team over here. And so all these things are starting to like come together at the same time. But, you know, sales is a big team now, you know what I mean? And they're doing their own training. It's really like right now sales is being trained by their managers, right? So if like, if their manager doesn't show them the positioning and messaging and they are doing it slightly on their own, guess what? That rep just picked up that way of talking about it. And so I think we're seeing some of that now, not bad, but enough where we're like, okay, not only are we gonna change it with the narrative, but we're also gonna get stronger about everybody needing to use it. And we're gonna, we're gonna be listening to gong calls to make sure that it's happening, I'm sure, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think, to be honest, it is a bad thing, but also at the same time, Clay, during one of our last revenue meetings, our VP of sales, he mentioned the same thing too. So like sales is aware that this is an issue. And when you're increasing your sales team's headcount by what, three or four X this year, and the goals are increasing accordingly, it all comes down to how quickly can we as a marketing team enable our sales team and, and get them to be telling the same story, using the same message, talking about metadata in the same way in less time. And if we're leaving them to fend for themselves and figure this out on their own, one, it's not going to work, but two, we're not helping them and putting them in any better of a position. So that part's on us. Yeah. And I think one of the things I realized too, from the narrative work is because sometimes I think about like, oh man, if it's a really complex product that you're selling, some sales reps just might not be cut out for it. You know what I mean? But I think going through this narrative work, what we're trying to do is like, get it very simplified. You know what I mean? So that the narrative, anybody can deliver it. You know what I mean? It's like, it just makes sense. And you're not talking about the bits and like how exactly we do targeting and the features and like none of that. You don't really get into any of it. You're basically like posing a, hey, you, you agree with this, right? This is kind of what's going on. Yep. This ain't really, really good for you. You know what I mean? How about, let, let me show you the light of what it could be like. You know, you're really kind of 
getting them excited and showing them what things could be like and you know how you could solve their pain but not getting into the bits and so it should there should be no excuses i guess i'm saying if you do the narrative right that um the reps should, every rep there shouldn't be like oh it's too technical you know what i mean like that shouldn't be a case um and so um so yeah i don't know i guess i just a little added thing there that the complexity of what you're selling really shouldn't matter yeah, and I think this is what makes it hard, but you try to do it in as few words as possible in language that they're using. And really the end goal of it is to get whoever you're you know, explaining the narrative to at the end of the day to just nod their head the whole time to the point where they are amazed at how well you understand them, mm-hmm. that what you're saying they cannot argue because you, you know their world so well. Like you, If you nail this, people should not be able to poke holes in it because they're just in agreement the whole time. Yep. Yep. And then we were looking at, we were looking for those head nods as we were like talking through some of our, you know, new narrative with people. I was, I was, you know, as I presented, I'm always looking for people like, are they getting it? Are they with me? So yeah, that's a good one. Um, okay. So we're wrapping up on time here. I wanted to get to a couple of questions that we had some pretty good ones. So, um, first one is how often should you be looking at or revising your messaging? So we touched on that a little bit, but is there a time frame or like, yeah, yeah, how often? Yeah. So we're figuring this out right now, but I think right now we've got a meeting on the books with our sales directors that we're meeting every three weeks uh, just to see kind of what they're seeing in the market and what their teams are telling them. I would say it's something that you look at probably quarterly if you're being really aggressive, but you're always looking at it in terms of the campaigns that you're launching and what's landing and what's not landing. The point is this is not a set it and forget it. You should be looking at this, you know, consistently and you should also be looking at uh, how your competitors are messaging themselves too. Cool. One more question and then they think we'll be out of time, but, and we should have touched on this, but how do you test messaging? So how do you test it? Yeah. So this is a tough one. I think, For us, when we did this ourselves, we were leaning more qualitatively because that's all we could at that point. And I think you have to realize that there are some things you can quantify and some things that you can't. So we were looking at interviews with customers and prospects in addition to using like feedback tools. We use something called uh, winter.com, Pep Lia's company, where you can test your messaging against a cold audience in your, you know, ICP. So that was what we needed at that point in time. I think what we're also doing is using our own platform uh, just based on the experimentation to test messaging and then use that as a way to inform future product marketing. So, hey, we've launched XYZ campaigns using this message. This is landing. This is something for our product marketing team to look into. Yeah, I think that's a good one, that one, um, because you can test things in message or you can test things in ads maybe faster than just getting on the website and seeing like, does this land? Cause you can do an A and a B version and somebody either clicks through or they don't. And you can like start to get some of that like, ah. And then you did mention that plug for winter, which I also thought that was a great platform for us to use. Um, cool. All right, well, uh, another episode in the books. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Please go and like and subscribe to our podcast. Give us a nice review and Ping us on LinkedIn if you want a specific topic or if you've got questions for an upcoming topic. All right, everybody, have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. 
If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter. (laughs) 